0: PodRocket is sponsored by LogRocket, a front-end monitoring and product analytics solution. Don't know what that is? Go to LogRocket.com. Thanks. Hello, welcome to PodRocket. I'm Brian. That's Kate. Hi, Kate. Hi, Brian. Hi. With us uh, on this episode is Kim Maida. Hello, Kim.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: We are very excited to have you. I ask everyone to introduce themselves because they're better at it than I am. Uh, Who are you?
1: Sure. So my name is Kim Maida. I am the Vice President of Developer Relations at Ionic. And I am actually a former biologist now, uh, been working in tech for a over a decade but still a scientist at heart
0: that's gonna make i did not prepare for biology related questions in in this (laughs) podcast so
1: that's all right that's totally fine i
0: mean i could wing it we could talk about stuff i learned in seventh grade bio classes that's what i remember actually it's like well no one cares about that but they were like how i remember that where the radius and ulna bones are that ulna rhymes with pinky don't worry about it it's you'll always remember that it does Anyways, okay. So um, so VP of De- DevRel, it's not the your first DevRel job. I'm kind of interested to hear kind of the, not necessarily the resume, but kind of how did you start in DevRel and how did you get to where you are? It's not an interview. I'm just kind of curious and just sort of what's the arc. Of,
1: sure. Your career. Yeah. So I kind of fell into it, uh, which is interesting because I think a lot of people just sort of fall into it. But I I was an engineer, a front-end engineer. I then became an engineering manager. I was working at agencies and a few different uh, companies doing web development. And uh, then I actually needed a bit of a break from management. So I joined Auth0 as a content engineer. Um, so basically my job was to write technical engineering tutorials for the blog. They have a very, very well-read blog. And um, sort of in the process of doing that and teaching people about the technologies, teaching people how to code, teaching people about authentication, I got the opportunity to essentially speak at a conference, which I had never done before in my life, Uh, but I figured that it would be good life experience. So I went and did it. And I found out that I really, really enjoyed Doing that, I liked to uh, sort of teach people things in writing, and I found I really liked to teach people things in person as well. So I started doing more and more speaking, and then uh, essentially, eventually, I got back into management and uh, ended up managing the technical content team and the community team at Auth0, which was starting to get you know sort of closer and closer to developer evangelism and advocacy. And then from there, I you know, started doing more and more speaking and uh, ended up managing the developer relations team at Auth0. So my first official DevRel labeled role was actually um, head of developer relations. And then from there, it was sort of, I, I never really looked back, I guess you could say. I've been doing DevRel roles ever since
0: then. I have so many questions. Because I think like, well, that's the first time I think anyone's had a very clear, like almost linear answer uh, besides kind of falling into it, which is a pattern I've heard a lot. Um, And that happens with content sometimes too. Um, But I want to start at the beginning, right? So I think a lot of people can relate to, I don't know, you want to call it being a practicing front end engineer. And you said that you needed a break. I think people can certainly relate to that. And then you started writing technical articles, which again, we have lots of people on the log record blog that do just that, but then they also are saying, I'm interested in being a technical writer also getting into DevRel or dev advocacy or dev advocacy or whatever sort of the title of the, of the year is dev experience engineer is my new fav- my new favorite. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there are many titles now.
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. So what was it about, The jump, but like, how did you think about and then actually execute the jump between writing and DevRel? How did that work out?
1: So it was pretty serendipitous, actually. I had not had any specific aspirations to start speaking or preparing presentations or anything like that. Um, I was used to having a role that was very kind of public facing just because we would interact with folks who read the articles, folks would leave comments and things like that. Um, but what ended up happening was there was somebody else uh, working at the company who was speaking at an event at a conference. And I was also going to go to the conference and help present a workshop. And so that was like sort of the, the first step where, where I wanted to sort of take the writing thing and, and go to in person. And, uh, because the person I was running the workshop with was also speaking, it came up where the organizer actually asked, uh, would you like to get on stage with him and also speak? Um, so I, you know, I said yes, because I thought I probably should try it out. And essentially that he had mostly written most of the presentation already so it was kind of an easy way for me to get into that and with this presentation i was already prepared i basically just had to learn the slides and you know we had to figure out the co-presenting thing which by the way it is a lot harder to co-present than it is to present by yourself um it's very sort of there's all this awkward time where you're just kind of standing there while the other person is speaking and uh i I would definitely err on the side of presenting alone um, for people who are trying to get into it actually, because it's harder to do it the other way. Um, But yeah, so we did that presentation together and I had sort of in the process of learning his slides and things like that had kind of figured out, well, this is what, you know, if I was doing this, I would probably, you know, do it this other way or something like that. Um, And so basically after that, I just started to submit CFPs to, to conferences. And over time, I got better at crafting, you know, a good CFP that would be more likely to be accepted and um, just started speaking and traveling a lot more and discovered I really, really liked it.
0: So the what I'm hearing and I please stop me if I'm wrong is getting accepted to conferences and speaking at conferences is kind of the first step to landing an actual, like a full-time DevRel job? Does that seem to be kind of the main?
1: Not necessarily. Yeah. So I think that um, as DevRel grows and matures, it's actually more of a case of it, there's so many components to developer relations that speaking is has become. Sure, it's still a major component, but it's definitely only one small piece of the bigger puzzle. Um, there are plenty of people who have gotten into DevRel through uh, doing like live streaming or you know running workshops or writing really good blog articles or basically just uh, become going on podcasts as guests, like things like that. Um, where you just sort of put yourself out there, you start interacting with the community, um, and then once you've kind of established that you have like a talent for communication, you have empathy, you can establish a rapport with people and you can be a good teacher, an educator, and that um, you can sort of connect with an audience. That's really what you need in order to sort of land a DevRel job, um, especially because DevRel isn't, it's, Been around for a little longer now, but it's not so far uh, into its life cycle that, you know, uh, that you actually have to have had like three developer advocate, you know, titled jobs in the past. Uh, You basically just need to show that you have like the aptitude for it. And that that might change over time, like the longer it's around, it might become you know like the thing where they say you need twenty years experience in React in order to get, you know like hired as a react developer, so uh hopefully that won't be the case, but um it is at kind of a a nice sweet spot right now where um people can land jobs even if they you know have never had a dev advocate job before, and they don't necessarily need to be like you know, a world renowned speaker or anything in order to do that. They just have to be interested in it.
0: That's why I like having folks in Devrel on this podcast is because I I feel like there are some kind of patterns that have emerged or at least some commonalities, but no one ever says the exact same thing on either how they started and how they ended up, you know, and what the motivation was, and then ultimately where they work now, how it's organized, you know, it's always really different. Um, But I'll get to that in a minute. I'm I'm interested in hearing, well, two things, and one's kind of backwards looking and the other, because you already mentioned it a little bit, but then also one's forwards looking. So let's start with the backwards part. You mentioned like what you feel like the essential traits are for someone in DevRel. So someone who's kind of apathetic and interested in, in teaching and that sort of thing. What's the core function as you see it in DevRel? I mean, there are job descriptions you can read, but what's the most important thing that you're doing that you think? And then what what do you need to do that?
1: Yeah. So I always sort of think of developer relations as a discipline, as being sort of um, composed of basically four sort of subgroups. And so you you basically have your advocacy, which is, you know, often what people's job title says. So that's sort of like the, the clear one. But advocacy really um, sort of represents the relationship that you're building with the people who are the developers that are using a technology product or software, and then advocating for them to the company, like on their behalf, in order to improve the, like, the offerings that the company has and to improve um, sort of how the uh, developer users feel about the product and what can sort of make it better for them. And then you have sort of related to that developer experience, which is essentially it's user experience when your users are developers. Um, so it's how is the product you know efficient? Is it good to is the experience good? Is the CLI really you know straightforward and and the commands are good? Um, do people enjoy actually developing with the product? And then you have uh, evangelism, which a lot of DevRel jobs in the past I think have really been developer evangelists jobs, but they sort of label them as something else, as like advocacy or something. But the um, evangelism is, you know, sort of where you go and talk about the product and talk about the technology and how it can help people and, and how they'll benefit from using it. And then there's community, which basically encompasses everyone who is using the product or could even potentially use it. And that, you know, it also includes the people who are building it. So your, your own Uh, co-workers in your own teams and uh, how do you sort of grow that community how do you nurture it and so when you when it comes to uh, like what things does someone need in order to work in DevRel specifically you need to be able to communicate effectively you need to be able to um, see things from other people's points of view both from the points of view of the people who are using the technology and also um, from you know the point of view of the engineers and the product developers who are working on the product, uh, so that you can have both sides of the coin at the same time. Um, and I would say, like, emotional intelligence is a pretty big one, also, because you will often run into people who are having trouble with with your product, or they're not really sure why they should be using it in the first place, or they're frustrated with something, and kind of being able to connect with people and uh, sort of build trust and like have a relationship that isn't that doesn't end up sounding like you're just selling them something is very important for uh like having a rapport with with the folks who are in your community. And I think that like at its heart building trust is probably one of the biggest things that I've learned about successful DevRel in general. You want to be genuine and you want to build trust. And without those two things, uh you're not going to have a successful relationship with the developers who um are using using your product. So yeah, and then there's also like you you have to be on some at uh, you know on some level fairly adventurous, I think, in order to work in DevRel, just just because it's kind of your it's on your plate to go out and try new things, um, find out what can we do differently or what can we change? What can, what new ways can we use to connect with people? Um, And then you have to be willing to take that and say, well, that didn't work. You know, let's try something else or that did work. How can we then evolve it and sort of take it and run with it?
0: I think the trust component is um, interesting to me. I mean, it's obviously it feels intuitive, right? Like (laughs) people aren't going to tell you what they think about the product really, if they don't trust you. And then they're also not going to take your suggestions. Like I don't really, I'm not sure how effective doing like a formal talk about a product or how a product can help your company. I don't know if that's more or less effective than like the conversations you have in between sessions with people about like, Oh, this is the things that you could do. And here's how I would solve that problem. But I think the most interesting part is that that trust is not really attached to the company or the brand. It's a trust It's uh, attached to you, the person. Yes. So, like, which, so you're. I think this is true for almost every dev advocate that I talk to or dev royal person. I get so hard because there's no standard title, and so I never know what to say. Anyways, that like you're building your own brand and doing your own thing, but then you leave, and it's like to another place, and they have to start again, and you don't. <laughs> and that seems really appealing. I like. I like that part.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. kind of. <laughs> So people, you know, people do, um, build up their, their trust and their reputation in like a specific thing. So then when you do go and change companies, you have to sort of make sure your expertise is at a level and your knowledge and and that trust is built up around the technology that you're representing now. Um, So there is a little bit of, you know, not starting over, of course, but definitely, um, you, you know fall back a bit so that um, because maybe somebody trusted you on a specific topic, but they don't necessarily know that you're
0: now becoming an expert in something else. Could be a different audience too, I guess, also, right? Like, yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the other thing that you said that I was going to lead you into anyhow, so it's a good transition is you mentioned kind of interacting with the the community. And one really obvious pattern that's that's emerged in these DevRel uh, themed episodes is that communities um well i guess it's been a big deal for i don't know five years six years more than that um but almost everyone's like we're really interested in building a community not everyone has a very clear vision of what that means or what that is i'm interested to hear kind of what you think (laughs) like what is what is your
1: yeah it is it is kind of tough because it's it's sort of it's not just about um like who's in the community. It's also about where is that community? For example, like, are you trying to build an online community with a forum? Are you trying to build a champions program? Are you trying to get get more GitHub contributors involved? Um, Are you trying to, you know, build a community that will give you direct product feedback and things like that? So basically you have to kind of take all of those things and coalesce them into like, tangible human beings who you can communicate with. Um, You can have this sort of huge nebulous community that exists, but then if you don't actually interact with them at all, then um, I think that's where a lot of companies are sort of, how do we take this community that exists and, you know, become something where we have an actual relationship with them. And they're not just people who like our products and use them, but they become, you know, a sort of a, a part of the company's ecosystem in a way that the company is also uh, like giving extra things to to the people who are, you know, making video courses and writing blog posts and, and sort of championing the the technology. And that's definitely an evolving story. Still, um, I mean, a lot of people have heard of Google Developer Experts and have heard of Microsoft MVPs. There's a lot of these sort of experts and ambassador programs out there, um, and I've spent a lot of time either participating in as a member or building out and running these types of programs. And it's it's very interesting how much they can differ from each other. And there's definite vibes that you get from certain ones. Like some of them are very sort of the company pushes out information and and then asks uh, like the the members to do something like go speak or something, and then report how much you talked and and things like that. And then there's other ones who, you know, you're trying to engage more with the things that they're actually working on. Um, Like if somebody creates some content, then will the company then sort of um, do some like social promotion of their content or highlight them in a newsletter or uh, sort of help them out, essentially, rather than you know, saying how many people did you speak to about our our product this year or or something like that. Um, so I, I've always felt like the key to having a really successful program of that nature is to, you know, not just expect people to do all the work and <laughs> the company needs to do some work as well um, in order to kind of reward and recognize all of the, you know, sort of time and effort that folks are putting in, and make sure that you're sort of elevating those voices so that, you know, the company obviously benefits and then the people who are contributing benefit in a more tangible way than just like they get to say that they get to put a label on their profile or something like they actually can say, you know, and you know, the company helped me land another contract, like the company uh, promoted my video, So it got, you know, 10,000 more views than, than it would have or something like yeah. that.
0: No, I mean, it's, it's, you have to give people something for their, t- for I mean, it sounds stupid, like, oh, yes, but you have to give people a, well, some no, incentive. Yeah,
1: Otherwise it's free, it's free work. Like you can't, you can't expect people to, to basically be advocates for your company and, you know, not receive anything, anything back.
0: I couldn't agree more, you know? And I think that's like, yeah. I mean, I, I wonder sometimes it seems to me like the most successful or I don't know if success is really the right word there. Certainly the, the DevRel programs with the most visibility um, are at larger companies. It's it's more difficult for smaller companies to have a big DevRel team because they're expensive, Yep, yep. <laughs> frankly. Uh, and, you know, there's also not that many of them. Like there's, um, I think, you know, maybe a year ago because we're recruiting for that position. And maybe a year ago I did a, a LinkedIn search. And like in the U.S. there were maybe 500 people with that title and, you know, Three hundred of them worked at Google, and I don't think that's really much of a hyperbole. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh wow, okay, well, that's a problem.
1: I think that's changing, though.
0: I hope so, because I would really like to have a. <laughs> I really like to have a team. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, so I, I guess where I'm going with this is like, do you think it's possible for for this a smaller company to have a, a, an effective DevRel program? And if so. Like, what is the most important thing they should focus on? Like, if it's a community, if it's an online community, or is it help?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I have worked with some at several smaller companies, uh, done DevRel, and I've also worked at larger companies. I mean, not huge. Um, I've never worked for a company the size of Microsoft, for example, but it is totally possible. And I, th- I do think that the commonality that I've seen through all of the companies that had a very small DevRel team has actually been that more people do DevRel at the company than the people who hold a position on the team that's called developer relations. Um, So this really works well when you have um, like a smaller company where the the folks who work at the company are interested in advocating for the company in sort of a a broader way than, well, I'm a developer advocate, so it's literally my job. Um, so we have a lot of folks at Ionic, for example. The Ionic DevRel team currently is just myself and Mike Hardington. Um, and Mike has made, you know, amazing name for himself and reputation. He's, he's basically like a lot of people when they think of Ionic at a conference or something, his, his name and face like pop, pop up. Um, but he is not the only person at Ionic who does DevRel. And there, there are a lot of folks on other teams across the company who will speak at events, will come on podcasts, will write blog articles, will do sort of all of these things. And I think it's important that the company have the room to support that. And those activities, a lot of people do it because they love it, um, not because it's, you know, they're nine to five. So if a company, you know, is very like no, you know, we, we're we not going to support you going and speaking at this event, or no, you don't have time to write this blog post, you have to be heads down, like on, on your other projects, then you're going to run into more issues. Um, because essentially, for one thing, it, it sends a bad message about company culture, um, that they don't want other employees to advocate for the company, like, then what kind of company is that? Um but yeah, I think like in general, and, and you run into a lot of people who have been doing this type of thing while they you know, their job title is, is, you know, software engineer or something like that. Um, and then eventually, you know, they may transition into a developer advocacy role because they, you know, really enjoy doing that. And so there's a lot of folks in that boat um, and they're the supporting those people is very, very important to having a successful relationship with your developers Um, And it also sends a really good message in general about advocacy for the company and evangelism for the company. When you have, you know, engineers or founders or co-founders who are doing developer relations activities, uh, because then, you know, it says, well, more people are willing to talk about, you know, the, the great things that this company is doing, or they're willing to engage with the community than just the people whose literal job is to do that. So it's it's always like a, a good vibe to, to see that happening.
0: Yeah. Is that the counter argument to like, let's say you're a company with less than, I don't know, 50 engineers. And the response is, well, our engineers are here to write code. And that's where their time should be most spent or best spent. I'm not sure if that's always true, but I do hear that a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which is, you know, sort of understandable, but it, it's one of those things that I think is a sentiment that's changing as DevRel in general grows and becomes sort of more ubiquitous. You do have a lot more companies who are realizing if you look at the competitive landscape and you are, you know, a company of X size, 60 people, and you look at another company that is of similar size and they put a lot more effort into developer relations and, or they have more people who are doing sort of employee advocacy. And then you look and see how big is their community? Like how much adoption do they have? How much are people talking about their technology? Um, how easy is it to go online and just Google something that you want to know about the product and find a, a great video, you know, tutorial or something that, or a talk that was recorded, um, and they, you know, you can sort of see the difference where, where companies put zero effort into DevRel or, or restrict activities only to, peop- to like one or two people who actually have that job compared to companies where, you know, you have a bunch of great technical talks from the engineers as well and things like that. Um, so I think people are starting to kind of recognize that DevRel is an ex- essential function of companies that grow through having a developer community of users. So it definitely was not always that way, but it is something I'm seeing start to change.
0: That's always, this is a non sequitur, but um, essential function has always been one of my favorite phrases. I've worked in government for a small period of time and I heard that and I was like, (laughs) that's really cool. I really like that. So I'm happy to encounter it in the wild. Um, Okay. So my last question, at least about that aspect um, is um, when I am talking to someone about, you know, potentially, um, working in a in a dev role, role here i almost always hear uh the question um two things do i have to travel or do i get to like in and, and each people each person has their own um opinion right on whether or not that's good or bad but then also they're asking um will i be writing code regularly and i have taken the stance that yes i'm not sure how you would stay current if you don't but i also don't know if i'm right do you think i'm right (laughs) is that something that um you have to do and then because i also don't know how it would work because it it would be difficult i believe to add like to write in production if you were kind of jumping in and out of teams so that leaves like uh growth engineering and kind of other stuff on the on the periphery of i guess the product stuff
1: yeah so it depends (laughs) It definitely depends. It depends on the company. It depends on the company structure. And it also depends on how much um the individual is able to kind of advocate for the type of thing that they specifically are most interested in. In general, at like a highly technical company, the developer advocates would write code. Often it could be uh, like demo and sample style code. But um, some companies do actual rotations through um, where their uh, folks who work on DevRel actually do product engineering. Uh, I think Netlify is a good example of this. Uh, they have a developer experience team, and um, the, the folks on the team basically rotate into product development. Because this, I think the sentiment you know, around that is, how are you going to be well-informed on the technical aspects of a product if you aren't building either the product itself or building actively with the product. And uh, like in my specific experience, being a developer advocate, um, speaking at technical conferences involved a lo- writing a lot of code. It starts to sort of fade away a little bit as you get into sort of leadership and management of DevRel team because your, your focus becomes sort of more strategic um, depending on how much room you have to do individual contributor style work. But um, in general, I think it's not that difficult to find opportunities to write code, particularly if you're doing highly technical talks with demos and things like that, you're going to have to write code in order to, to create that. Um, but there's also a lot more than just like speaking at a conference. So like if you give a workshop, then you will probably build an application with your you know in your workshop. And so you will be building that whole thing out and then you'll be teaching everybody else how to do it. And then similarly for if you're writing technical blog tutorials um, as part of DevRel, or if you're live streaming, you can live stream how to build, you know, with uh, we just released Capacitor 3, for example, uh, at Ionic and um, did a live stream on how to build something with Capacitor 3. So there's, there's definitely a lot of opportunities to still be like active with coding. I've also heard of um, places and, and people who have, you know, are developer advocates, but they don't write any code or don't even have a background as a developer, which in my personal experience has not been the case at the companies that I've worked at. Um, so I'm, there is some level of interest from me in finding out like how how companies with that type of structure uh, get really comfortable with sort of doing that, um, but overwhelmingly, I think the the dev advocates
0: still write code. And I I, I think that's why I, th- I mean someone came out in a a while ago in uh, an interview and just straight up told me like the reason that we I guess that person felt empowered to speak for the entire DevRel community. We, uh, the reason we like developer experience engineers is it lets the world know that we're actual engineers and we want that cred. And I was like, okay, that makes sense, I guess. But then what does that do for those people that you just mentioned who maybe don't have experience or an interest um, in writing code? Will that be successful? Um, I don't know. Does it, is, it, is it?
1: Yeah, and I think... They they definitely can still be successful, and there's, um, but maybe not doing the exact same things that um, somebody who you know is an experienced engineer would do. There's a lot of um, devrel roles in community growth. There's a lot of devrel roles around um, program management and things like that, which are very fun, very compelling, um, but don't actually involve writing code. So if you want to talk about like standing up on a stage and giving a technical demo, well, you know, that's different. Um, But there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of other things that are involved with DevRel, besides like specifically writing code examples.
0: Yeah. That particular persona of DevRel person, the engineering, the engineer part uh, would strongly prefer to report into engineering or product and um, gets immediately bummed out. If you mention that it's possible to report into marketing, it's like the worst thing that could ever happen. And so, yeah, maybe there's some other. Th-
1: Which has, so that, that has always kind of interested me because there was definitely a point in my career where I was, you know, I've always reported to marketing um, in every dev role that I've had, and uh, they've all been highly technical. So I felt like initially at one point in my career, probably early on, I was like, oh, I'd really, really rather report to engineering. I'd really, really rather report to product. But then in practice, it didn't really make a significant difference that I was reporting to marketing because I was still working with engineering and product. So it was it was sort of about how is the structure of the community, um, like. Are you, you know, interacting heavily with engineering and product? Are you, do you have touch points with them? Or are you just, you know, only trying to talk about marketing? But I don't, I also don't want to like belittle marketing because marketing is actually a great area to, for DevRel to report to. And I think that a lot of people are are sort of, you know, people who are like classically trained engineers, um, which... I am, so it's not that I'm like, oh, well, they don't understand. I, I was, you know, the person who who wanted to report to, to a different segment at one time. Um, but marketing to developers is, is an art in and of itself. Um, and I think that understanding that nuance is actually a pretty significant part of understanding successful developer relations. Yeah, you're telling us, Ken. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, both, both Kate and I are just like frantically nodding our heads, like, yeah, that's yeah. true." <laughs> I saw that. um, yeah, I mean, it is, it is. Like, even it's funny. Like, even um, in content, uh, content is for sure marketing. It's it's inbound marketing, and and even most content, no, fifty percent. Let's say uh, we get a little squeamish when. Um, when someone calls us a marketer, I'm like, eh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. like, I'm not the one that's serving you ads, you know, like that's, and so, you know, occasionally it's funny, like occasionally let's say that, um, a, a log rocket article makes it somewhere, makes it to hacker news and it, it gets on the front page and every now and then I'll get someone who, or many people that will tell me that, you know, this is, this is blatant inbound marketing. I'm like, Yes. That is exactly what it is. Yeah, that, that that's is, our job. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think we're doing it well if we're in front of you. But yes, let's, yeah. so yeah, I mean, it is. But I also, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I think we probably are aligned here that I strongly prefer creating content um, and I guess marketing to the technically minded. It's so much easier to, to understand, like this is what they want, which is things that are useful. <laughs> um Yeah, exactly. And and this is like the utility. There's, um, if you make a mistake, they'll tell you, and that's great because otherwise, you know, you could just. It's just very simple to me. Um, And occasionally, you get someone who yells at you, and that's fine. Like it's like, it's the internet. I don't get that worked up.
1: Yeah, I think, I think so. Working in marketing, you know, my entire devrel career, I've always worked in marketing. It's it's highly enjoyable to to do. Marketing at a technical company um, because your audience is developers and they coming from a background as a developer they want what I want so it's not it's not like I had to learn an, an entirely different new skill set in order to work in the marketing department instead of in the engineering department um, it was actually very natural because I know that from being a developer that developers want their work to go smoothly they want to be efficient. And they want it to be interesting while they're doing it. Um, and they they then want something at the end that they enjoyed making and then are proud of um, and had a good time doing it. So when it comes to, you know, sort of understanding who, who you're trying to reach, like being an engineer, working in marketing to engineers is very natural because you, you are the audience. So you know what they want. And I think, a lot of people, you know, have commonly said, "Oh, I don't, you know, want to report to marketing because devs don't like to be marketed to," um, and that's not necessarily true. It's it's actually not a truth. <laughs> so, um, I know that I'm always looking for things that will make my life easier and better and be fun to use and things like that, and and that comes often out of you know developer marketing. Um, and so it it may be true that devs are a little more sensitive to like BS. So hence comes that if you are just genuine and you're working on building trust, this is just the thing that's of tantamount importance at, at like an ethical level um companies that don't build trust and aren't genuine probably you know you don't want anything to do with them anyway um so it's it's like a, a natural flow for for developer marketing to have those things be sort of core tenets of what you're you're trying to get to and then you say you know marketing to developers is about is it genuinely useful is it helpful does it improve life for developers does it make their team flow more cohesively does it have a great developer user experience and if yes, then they're going to be open to trying it. They're going to be open to building a relationship with the technology or the brand, and they're going to be happy to become practitioners. And I think that that's sort of the the crux of developer marketing in general. Um, and and those things often come pretty naturally to people who have um, you know a developer background. So uh, I think it's a little bit of like a it can be a misstep for for folks wanting to go into DevRel to say, oh, no, I don't, you know, I don't want to work in marketing. It's like, well, no, marketing in many cases is a really great place uh, to do DevRel. Um, and, I, you know, not to say that working in product engineering as DevRel wouldn't also be great. It would. Um, but I think the the sort of reluctance to be in the marketing org is maybe a little bit misplaced.
0: I, I couldn't have said it any better, like co-signed. And the one thing I, I, the one thing I will say is like, um, you know, the, it's just such a, uh, a, a, it's a straight line two way street, like give the people what they want and what they want is useful stuff. No garbage marketing tricks, you know, like for us, One of the things, which is, to me, always held bizarre, especially in the beginning, was like we would get compliments on the, the call to action. You know, a little blurb at the bottom of our post. It's like, hey, we have a product that we're trying to sell, and it keeps the lights on. It's the reason we do this. Um, But like that's it. There are no flyovers or pop-ins, and it's very obvious where that advertisement is. So you can just choose not to read it if you get to the end. Um, And we get so many compliments on that from from developers. So like, I appreciate you. And I understand that you have to market. I also appreciate that it's not in my face. Um, the other thing.
1: Yeah. But then people, people also appreciate that they know where to go if they are like then interested in the product, they know where to go. It's not, it's not like obscured, like this isn't marketing. We swear. (laughs) So, you know, so then they have to like figure out how to engage with you.
0: (laughs) Well, what's funny is that like the, I think sometimes, um, you know some people and th- I, this is maybe a tangent but some people think that developers as a group are a kind of this are mythical creatures who are impervious to all marketing and it's and are not interested and it's like yeah, no, it's completely not not true they're
1: definitely not they're definitely interested
0: <laughs> yeah I, I think the difference is is yeah. kind of what you said is the bs part like you can you can publish a borderline clickbait title but it has to deliver. It can't actually be garbage. Which is like, why would you publish gar- garbage in the first place? Yeah. Um, so yeah, when I think about it, I, I much prefer creating content for developers versus, say, like marketing to marketers. I, I feel like marketers are are <laughs> way more um, frustrating to to market to. Like it's it's unclear what they want. They think they could do a better job than you. Maybe I don't respect the products that they're hawking. So that's that's just a me thing. But that's it. I don't expect you to have a response to that. That's just me being spicy on my own podcast. Okay. So, okay. So the last thing I want to ask about, um, because you have experience in kind of both of these arenas and it seems like a question a lot of people have, or a lot of people have a hard time kind of figuring out what are the key differences between DevRel uh at, an open source company or an open source product and a commercial product? Like what are the, what are the key differences and how does that work?
1: So this is a really interesting question because there's almost uh, no company that doesn't have some commercial side if they are open source, because otherwise they honestly often don't succeed. So um, I think that Ionic is actually a really good example of this done right. um, Where, you have open source products. Ionic Framework is open source. Uh, Capacitor.js is open source. Stencil is open source. And these things will be open source free forever. Uh, we'll never sort of surprise people and be like, oh, no, we're, we're closed sourcing this now. It's going to become commercial open source and all of this stuff. But what we do do is we have additional features and offerings that are available for larger companies with a lot of money for enterprises that they can add on if they're using the open source and they need a little bit more. Uh, they need to, you know, manage a bunch of CICD2 or something. They want, you know, automatic updates to, to app stores and things like that. And I think that this the nuance of doing this correctly is very important because if you have an open source, a piece of open source software, and you have a huge community of users who are using that. And then all of a sudden you say, and we, you know, built this other thing for like this, you know, thing that everybody's been waiting for. Oh, but, but it's not actually free. Now you have to pay. Then from the company side, that might be what the company kind of feels like they need to do in order to fund the open source because they want to grow the team. They need more people to maintain it. They want to, you know, keep it living into the future. Um, but it can make the community very angry, right? So so then people, you know, get extremely upset. So I think the sort of successful model is really to have, you know, you're, you're free and open source and then have things that are non-essential in a way that, Folks who are, you know, trying it out or folks who are sort of working for themselves or smaller startups like probably don't need it. Uh, they can, they can just manage with the open source, um, but large enterprises, uh, these companies that do have a lot of money, they want to pay for something so that they can ensure that the open source is not going to go away someday, um, that they then they're more than happy to, you know, sort of get a little bit more professional services or get some sort of fancy add-ons or really robust plugins and things like that. And, um, that that model tends to work very well in devrel uh sort of it's it's an interesting nuanced balance because you have you want to build community among developers at sort of the very top of the funnel where you want adoption uh, you want people to learn about the technology and be able to try it out you want it to be accessible to those people so Um, you know, you want to start them with the open source and they might only ever need the open source. They might never touch the enterprise products at all. Um, But then also you want to make sure that folks who do try it out and then love it and then work at enterprise companies are aware that you have, you know, more things that could really continue to make their lives easier. Um, So it's... It's an interesting sort of balance. A lot of companies are, you know, at a point where they've created something open source and then they're thinking, oh gosh, now we, we really need to make money or like we won't be able to pay for the, for the team to like continue developing the open source. Um, and I think one of the keys, you know, if you're looking for like a a position in DevRel where you get to do both, you kind of want to look for a company that's like had a plan from the start. Um, which is is they exist, <laughs> so it's it's not that people haven't figured this out, um, but it can be very tough to to be a representative of a company if they're in the midst of trying to figure it out, and it's already been like quite a while. Um, but yeah, there's you definitely want to like as a representative of Devrel, like be aware of the whole picture. Like you can't come into Devrel and expect. Oh, DevRel means open source and then sales is the commercial side. Like, I'll never even have to think about that. You do have to think about it um, because you may be at the very top of the funnel, but, um, you know, things go through the funnel and there may very well be plenty of opportunities where people come to you at a conference and they say, um, you know, what do you have for, for this next step? Because our company is really at a point where we need something more. Um, and now, you know, what what do we do? So you want to be cognizant of the whole picture, be able to talk like intelligently about the whole picture, but you're not necessarily, you know, the person going out there and saying everybody should, you know, pay for our commercial products. Even if you're, you know, a, a single developer building, you know, your first application, um, like you have to know when, when people need it, when it's applicable and, and when it's not
0: yeah, I mean that that little conversation or big whatever that side conversation is um, absolutely more powerful than anything. Like if they engage with a salesperson later on, like your conversation is is no offense to my sales friends, but and I think they'll agree with it. Like it's it's whatever they say doesn't um, matter as much. So I don't think I made a lot of sales. Fortunately, I don't think the salespeople at Rocket listen to my podcast. So <laughs> yeah, nailed it. Um, Cool. Okay. So, uh, that was a great answer. I mean, I, I have always wondered that myself, so thank you. It's plug time. What should, I mean, you don't have to plug anything. You can plug uh, other people, projects, stuff you're working on. This is your time.
1: Um, I've been trying to write more blog articles, uh, on dev two. So I'm just dev two slash Kim Mida with no spaces. Um, I've been trying to find time to write more blog articles about developer relations. Um, I have a a couple in there right now, but I have ideas to to write more. So um, if folks are interested in connecting with me too, I'm on Twitter. Also, it's just Twitter slash Kim Mida. I try to be consistent and just use my name so that I can always be found.
0: Awesome. We'll put all those links down in the the description and stuff so that um, if you missed it, you can just click them. Okay. Kim, thank you so much. This was really great for me. I hope you had a nice time.
1: Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: You're very welcome. It was our pleasure. Hi. Thanks for listening. Um, please remember to like, subscribe, uh, email me if you want, even though none of you do. Go to logrocket.com and try it out. It's free to try. Then it costs money, but yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks.